James chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. This is the word of the Lord. I will read on our behalf. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And let us pray and we'll begin. Lord, we are going to talk about the reality of our lives, the reality of evil and temptation in our lives. Father, all of us, I think, have a tendency to blame, shift our fallenness on other people and on you. But these words reveal, Lord, that the source of evil, source of sin lies within, our, within us. May you convince, convince us of this fact this morning. But also may you convince us, Lord, that the solution to overcoming our temptations is to have a realistic understanding of your generosity and love. May the reality of our sins, may the reality of our temptation, but more importantly, may the reality of the promises of God be fully be persuaded here this morning. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. So we are continuing our series on the book of James. Um, and once again, as for those of you who haven't, weren't with us when we first started this series, James is perhaps, perhaps one of the most practical books of the Bible. Right? Unlike 1 Corinthians, which, which delves into a lot of theology, James on its face doesn't have much heady theology like Romans or 1 Corinthians does. It's a very practical book. And if you read James carefully, one of the main, per- main messages of James is that what we do in this life matters. How we live in this life matters. How, how Christians treat each other matters. Unbelievers believe that there are no objective truth, that there is no objective reality. Everything's an accident. Everything is meaningless. Even though they don't live as if everything is meaningless, because even unbelievers have a cause that they live by, they, in the, they still say everything that we do here is ultimately meaningless. Everything is just cosmic dust. But James is the exact opposite of this belief. James is saying everything that we do, are the, the trials that we go through matter. Because the trials reveal whether we're truly of faith or not. Trials, right, um, reveal, tri- it is through trials that God works his enduring work in us. It is through trial and overcoming trial that is the evidence of whether we're going to get the crown of life. The things that we do here matters. That's the purpose of James. And one of the main missions of our lives here, or quote to today's scripture, one of the main missions of our lives here in this brief, brief time that we live here is to fight temptation. James is keenly aware the temptation 
is an everyday reality of a Christian. Right, verse 13, James says, when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, when, is a, it is a certain matter of fact that every Christian will be tempted. And we must fight temptation. Why? Because if we don't fight temptation, our lives here will start to destroy ourselves and destroy other people. And if we don't fight temptation, not only will we destroy ourselves and other people, but ultimately, it will, it will destine, destine us to eternal death. We wage war against our temptation because our temptations, and if we, our temptations are a gateway to the destructive forces in our lives. Temptations are a gateway to the destructive forces in our lives that if enticing, we, if we get, give in, will lead to destruction and ultimately death. So James is saying, take, take, fight temptation, take temptation seriously and fight it effectively. That's the message of today's scripture, today's, today's, today's verses. So let's talk about what temptation is. What is temptation? Temptation is a pull towards evil. It's a pull towards evil. Having Sean Stark here reminds me of Star Wars. And what Star Wars, what the, what the Death Star does is it has a, what is it, it has a, what, what is it, what is it, I'm sorry? It's a tractor beam that if the Death Star gets you in its tractor beam, it pulls you into the Death Star. Thank you, Sean Stark, for inspiring. That's what temptation is. It's a pull towards evil. The question is, what is evil? Evil is anything that is contrary to God's character and his revealed will. Evil is anything that is contrary, that is opposite of God's character and his, and his revealed will. That's what evil is. Evil is anti-God. So temptation is a pull for us to do things, live a life that is contrary to God's character and his will. Let's talk about God for a little bit. God is a source of life. That's what we talked about this morning, the call of worship. When you, when you are God, all life stems from God, right? If you are near God, then you begin to experience life. Life, not just eternally, but the quality of life you begin to experience, which is an example of, of life is you become sane. You become more loving and less divisive. You, have, you, you know what your purpose is. Most unbelievers out there, they have no idea why they live or what they live for. They have no idea what their purpose is. Having life means you know exactly what you're created for. You become a full human being. You become this person that is not a source of division or depression or, or anxiety or whatever, but you become this whole person. That's what life looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the evidence of life. And in God, God, in God, life starts to happen. That's what Psalm 1 is about. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, Jesus, Jesus said, I have come to give abundant life. John chapter 15, Jesus says, we bear much fruit if we are connected to him. 
fruit is evidence of life, right? Like my lawn, if, I don't, if my wife doesn't water it, let's be real. If my wife doesn't water it, it's going to be brittle and dry and dead. But if, if we water it, it's going to be luscious and green. Similarly, Jesus says, I am, the, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the source of life. If you are connected to me, you will bear life. Dante, right? Have you guys, do you say Dante? Do, people, do you guys study Dante in English lit class? Divine Comedy, Inferno? You know, all right. Dante, Divine Comedy is perhaps one of the most famous um, poet, poems in English literature. And Divine Comedy is about Dante describes his journey to hell, or he writes about fictional, he fictionally writes about a person's journey to hell, his journey to hell and his journey to heaven. And at the last part of, of the poem, he says, he, he says he experienced heaven. He, he saw God. The last part of the poem is about him seeing God. And this is the way he describes God in the poem. He describes the Godhead as a circle of various colors, three distinct colors, all rolled into one. It's this constant three Godhead in motion. And Dante says, it is that love, the dance within the Trinity, that moves the sun and all the other stars. Dante saying, the love of the Trinity, the Godhead, is the engine behind everything that's alive in the universe. It is the love of the Trinity that is the engine behind grasses growing, behind mountains moving, behind, you know, cells replicating. If there is a powerful engine that drives all life, Dante is saying, that's God. That's pretty deep, eh? Right? He is, God is the engine that drives life. In him is life. Temptation is an evil. Temptation is making us, driving us away from the source of life. That's what temptation is. Temptation is a voice in your head that pulls you in the opposite direction of the source of life. And if you listen to that call, and if you live a life that is away from God, what you experience, what I experience, is death, which is division, misery, which is Worry, right, which is unclear thinking, insane thinking. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to tell this brother's name because, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't call people out. Um, but, you know, I, I had a, so on Friday, I said, oh, should I go to small group? I went to small group, right? Every time I don't want to go to small group, I make myself go anyway. And Lord and behold, every time I make myself go to small group, it's a wonderful time. In that small group, it was just me and that other guy. It's just the two people, me and the other guy. It was a one-to-one -one small group. Really, the best small group I ever had. Is that a group? Can you say it's a group? No, it's a, it's a, it's a chat, right? It's the best small chat I ever had. Not ever, that's exaggerating. But it was really fruitful. And that brother was saying, he's saying when COVID happened, when he was away from the church and away from small group due to you know, the, the initial stages of COVID, when he was away from the church, away from small group, he said he was like a beast. Not beast, right? But beast in, in a way that is very damaging, irrational, yelling at his spouse, judgmental, 
being stressed. Said he was like a beast. Coming, listening to, listening to the sermons again. Especially coming to small groups again. Finds sanity. That's the illustration of what I just said. When he is near God, he finds sanity. Away from God, his beastiness comes out. Every morning, God calls us to enjoy him, drink from him, fill our minds with him. That's the invitation every morning. But you and I know this. There is also a voice that tells you, ah, don't do it, right? I'll be very honest with you. I can say this right now, but I'm telling you, when I get up tomorrow morning, look, after service, Sunday, like Sunday afternoon, I rest, spend time with my family, right? teach my daughter, and when sun goes down, you know, I start working again, right, from 8 a.m., 8 p.m. to, like, 2 a.m. And I will get up tomorrow morning, and I will hear a voice that says, oh, PJ, do not have to pray today. You know, other pastors have Mondays off, right? Other pastors have Mondays off, right? Come on, PJ, you need a Monday off, too. And Monday off for you, good old PJ, is not walking with God today. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Hear that voice too? That's the tempting voice. And it's not, it's not just this voice that calls us not to drink from him, right? There are other voices in your life. Everyone goes through different temptations. We're all designed differently, so the sources of our temptation is all different. I think all of us are keenly aware of the tempting voices in our lives. For some of us, it's not going to certain places on the internet. But there's a call for us to go to that place in the internet. That's what some of us. To some of us, it is being really nasty and judgmental to our, to our spouses. That temptation is real, everyday temptation. Judge your spouse, man. To some of us, it is a call to be depressed each morning. There is a voice that says, you are a nobody, you are a nothing, you are no good. That voice calls you every morning. I don't think there's million sources of temptation. I think each one of us has two or three temptations that you, we know for sure that is a regular course of our lives, isn't it? There is, right? Joel's temptation and my temptation may be different, but I know what I'm tempted by, and Joel knows what he's tempted by, and so do you. You listen, if you're pulled into that temptation, you're going to start dying. I'm going to start dying. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, says this, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul is telling, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writer of Romans and 1 Corinthians, he's saying, I'm keenly aware there's, a, there's two laws within me, the part of me that wants to obey God and the part of me that does not. Just because he's a Christian, it, it, he, it's not, if you, just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that this tempting power is removed from you. It's the natural course of our lives. 
all the misery of our lives and in the world because I think we give in to our temptation. I think the source of most misery in our lives, most death in our lives, because all of us give in to our temptation. Oh, this is very serious. I didn't think it was going to be this serious, but it's pretty serious. And let's talk about the, what is the source? What is the, well, where is the source of our temptation? If we're going to fight temptation, we've got to know where it comes from, right? We've got to know where the enemy's at. So let's talk about where temptation comes from. Verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. The first thing that James teaches us is, where the source of temptation does not come from. The source of temptation does not come from God. You might say, obviously, that's, that's true. But why is James saying, why is James saying the source of temptation is not God? It is because I think he is referring to the tendency of the human heart to blame shift our temptation to other sources. I think maybe he has Genesis chapter 3 in mind. When God confronts Adam and Eve of why they sinned. Adam, why did you do this? What did Adam say? The woman you put me here, you put in the garden, she did this to me. Adam is saying, God, you didn't make directly tempt me. That's not, that's not what he's saying, right? But God, it's kind of your fault. Because you placed that woman in the garden with me. She tempted me. So even though, God, you didn't tempt me directly, the wo- you kind of is fr- responsible for this because you put the woman in, in my life. It is the indirect, you're there, he's indirectly blaming God. And what did Eve say? It's the serpent that made me do it. I remember, like, one of my first, when my, when my daughter was little, like three, the room was a mess. And I said, baby, who created the mess? And what did my three-year-old lovely daughter say? Caleb. Was that true? No, of course it's not true. There's a tendency to blame shift. I'm not the cause of evil. Not me. It's the other person. When I was young and dumb, I'm kind of old and dumb now, but when I was young and dumb, if I gave in to my lust, you know how I justify my lustful actions? God created me as a man. God gave me this testosterone, and this testosterone is making me crazy. So it's not really that I'm evil. It's all the testosterone in me that makes me do this. I'm blame shifting my evil to God. We blame shift the cause of our evil to other people. We think, well, if God didn't make me marry him, then I'll be happy. What is the cause of all the marital strife in my family? It's because, because I married that guy. God made me marry that guy. If I didn't marry that guy, then I would be a better spouse. It's not my fault. I'm a perfectly a good human being. But it's the other person that makes me do it. Sounds familiar? Isn't this what modern society is teaching us day in and day out. You're not the cause of the evil. It's society. It's your parents. It's your trauma. 
You're naturally good. You're naturally innocent. You're born with a blank slate. But it's these extra forces in your life that is causing you to act this way, right? Isn't that the MO, the model of cultural Marxism that's dominating our schools and academia and corporations? What is the cause of all societal strife and injustice? White people, right? I saw a TV show, right? They were covering, I, th I think I told you, they, they were covering, right? They, they showed a clip of a man pushing an elderly Asian woman on the streets. Saw this footage? The Asian woman was just walking by, and this man just approached her, and she just, he, he just pushed her. And this news, not news channel, this talk show was discussing why that happened. You know what the talk show host said? You know why that man pushed the, white, like the, the, the Asian lady, white people? Like, what? Is the oppressive patriarchy, right? It is white fragility. They didn't address the evil in that man's heart that made him do that. Blame it on the whitey. Isn't that the model of today's society? Blame cultural racism or blame your parents. When you go to a psychiatrist, you're going to talk about how your parents messed you up. You are fine. It's your parents that did a job on you that make you act. I was watching an interview with a psychiatrist named Theodore Dryampel. Theodore Dryampel is a psychiatrist in the UK, and he worked with prisoners and, mental, and people in mental hospitals. So in the morning, he would go to the mental hospital to work with mental patients. In the afternoon, he would go to the prisoners and prison and work with prisoners. Right? So he interviewed 15,000 of them. He says one time, there was an inmate. There was, a, there was there's an inmate in the prison that he, work, work, he was working in. And the inmate was there for burgl burglary. It was a thief. And he, and he asked Philip, the, the, the doctor, hey, doctor, do you think I'm a thief, I'm a burglar, I ended up in prison because my parents didn't love me? Right? And what did Theodore Dryample said? Right? Theodore Dryample said, no, I don't think it's your parents' fault. Maybe it's because you don't want to work and you're lazy. Maybe that's why, you, that's, that's why you're stealing. Maybe your parents have nothing to do with the fact that you steal. Maybe it's because you're greedy and you're lazy and you don't want to work. Man, that was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the psychiatrist can say that, but he did. And this guy, when he listened to that from the, from the psychiatrist, he was shocked, shocked because no one had told him that. No one told him, maybe you're responsible for the evil that you're doing. Right? It's the other person's fault. The source of evil, not from God, certainly. Why? Number one, it says, God cannot be tempted by evil. Right? That's what verse, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Why cannot God be tempted with evil? Because evil is the antithesis of who God is. The definition of evil is the opposite of who God is. 
Therefore, God cannot be tempted with evil. In fact, he loathes evil. What is the reason why God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins? So that he could wash us so that we can become his. Because without the washing, we're still evil. And if we're evil, he cannot love us. He sacrificed his son to cleanse us because he cannot stand evil. How can this kind of God be tempted with evil? can't. That's what James is saying. Then where does, where does the source of temptation come from? Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Where is the source of temptation? James is saying, our evil desires. Don't look outside, look inside. First of all, Desire, having desire is not a bad thing. In fact, having desire is what makes us human. There's nothing wrong with God-given desires. There's nothing wrong to be wanting to do a great job and wanting to succeed. The desire for success is not a sin. God is a God of excellence, and because we're made in the image of God, we too want to build something that is excellent. The desire for success is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The desire to love and to be loved, oh, that's a great thing. There is love within the Trinity, right? The Trinity, there's a dance of love within it. And because we're made in that image of Trinity, there's a desire for us to love. And that's a good, great thing. There's a desire for art and beauty. Oh, because God is an artist, right? Go outside today at 8 o'clock when the sun is setting. That's when I usually run, at 8 o'clock at night. And when the sun is setting, oh, the sky is purple and pink. It is wonderful. God is an artist. There is nothing wrong with the desire for beauty. I'm going to a, like, my, my wife's birthday is a Saturday. I'm forcing my kids to go to a French restaurant in D.C. And I'm going to order foie gras, duck liver. Oh, I'm going to enjoy the duck liver so much. Because there's a desire. That desire for good food and taste is a good thing. So these good desire, they're not the source of temptation. The source of temptation are evil desires. And what is the definition of evil desire? The definition of evil desire is over-desire. Desire that is good thing gone overboard. Desire on steroids. Desire where it's just all consuming. That's what you call evil desire, over-desire. In God, when you are in God, your desires are properly filled. But when you remove God and truth out of your life, all you are left and all that I'm left is over-desire. Within the reality of God, desire find their proper place. Outside of God, desire goes crazy, and we over-desire things that, that we shouldn't desire so much. This example that I can give you is, because this is a family program, physical relationships. 
within the context of a committed, loving husband and wife relationship, oh, it is deeply satisfying. Physical relationship within the context of two people who are fully committed, who are building a life together. That desire for physical relationship is fully realized. Right? No? Come talk to me after. Let me mean something wrong with you. But a physical desire outside of this committed relationship of marriage, all-consuming, you want to consume, you're led by it. You don't get deep satisfaction from it. You don't. You can't. One of my heroes is this guy named William Stringfellow. Kind of a liberal, but he's my hero, lawyer and a theologian, right? And he he identified he said he had same-sex attraction, but he, he condemned the gay culture. And the reason why he condemned the gay culture is that the gay culture, celebrating gay culture, leaves you empty. Gay culture promotes free activity, physical activity. But these physical activities unregulated, just all-consuming physical activities at the end leaves an individual more lonely and empty than before. Within the context of God and truth, physical relationship, within the confines of marriage, it is filling and satisfying and good. Outside of it, only destructive. Evil desires come from the fact when we don't know God and his truth. When we don't know God and his truth, we are led by it. That's the pull. Temptation is, verse 14, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own evil desires. Temptation uses our over-desire to entice us to evil. The idea in verse 14 is like a fishing. Have you guys been fishing? You guys are good dads and parents. I don't know how to fish. I don't, do, I don't know how to do a lot of it, but I don't fish. Last time I fished was like 30 years ago. For those of you who went fishing, I would rather fishing involves, do you still use worms to fish? I don't know, do you? I don't know, fly. I don't know what, what you use. But let's say you use a worm and you toss the, what, what do you call it? The, what do you call it? The hook? The line, you, 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 you toss the line, don't judge me, you toss the line with the hook, with the worm inside, right? And, and, the, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the worm and the, and the hook, they, they just kind of dangle inside, inside, inside the ocean. And fishes look at it. They go, ooh, worm. And they run to it. And they bite it. And then the fisherman goes, ooh, right? And then you're, dra- and the fish is dragged away. But once it's hooked, the fishermen drag the fish away from water. That's the image that James has in mind in verse 14. How does temptation work? He dangles over desire for you. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Oh, look at, look at, look, that person's a jerk. Oh, yeah, look, 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 look. You should hate that person. Doesn't it look good? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
source of temptation is dangled before us. Whether it is a woman, whether it is a man, whether it is hatred, whether it is depression, whatever it is, it's dangled before us. That's how temptation lures us. Lures us. What happens when we are enticed by it? Verse, verse 15. Then desire, when he has conceived, gives birth to sin. So he has like a woman's childbirth in mind. So he's saying temptation dangles over desire in front of us. When we Bite it and conceive. Conceive here means when we, when we act upon that over-desire. Temptation dangles it, and we catch it, and we act upon it. It is when our over-desire and our wills and our actions meet, sin is born. Yeah, sin, sin is born. When is sin born? When we act upon our over-desire. Oh, this doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you catch it, and you use your thumb to go to places you shouldn't go. That's when sin is born. Oh, it doesn't look good. Doesn't hating that person look good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you bite it, and you say bad things about, against that person. That's when sin is born. Doesn't look good. You should steal it. Oh, yeah. You steal it. That's when sin is born. This enticement to act upon your over-desire, it is in our lives every single day. And if we're not regulated, Paul says, uh, James says, it is conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. What does it mean for fully grown sin? It means a lifestyle of continual giving in to your over-desires and acting upon it. If your lifestyle is continuing to give in to that temptation and acting upon it, if your life, if your life and my life is we're just consistently giving in to it, then you're letting sin mature in you. If you don't fight it, you're letting sin mature in you. And when you let sin mature in you, it's going to cause you death. Like a few years ago, when I used to watch TV at 2 o'clock in the morning before this job, right, I watched, like, there was a movie that I came across. I forgot what the title of that name of the movie was. But it was about like, this young woman, this married young woman, whose husband went away, from, like, went away for a business trip. Right? And by happenstance, her former boy, ex-boyfriend, who's a French writer, how perfect is that? Uh, her ex-boyfriend, who's a French writer, young, handsome, dashing. Of course he is. Suddenly comes that weekend. <gasps> How perfect is this? It takes place in New York, right? The chemistry between the actor and the actress is perfect. You know why she's attracted to him. You know why he's attracted to her. The acting is so well done, you can feel the chemistry and the joy and the enticement. So they spend the night not doing things that you shouldn't do, but they go out, they talk deep things about heartbreaks, about the meaning of life. Perfect. And you could see, you could sense the tension 
and the temptation for her to conjugate that relationship at night. She's in a lot of big words to protect the family. You could feel as an audience how she might be tempted. But at the end of the day, she doesn't do it. The reason why she doesn't do it because she says, if I give in, it's going to unleash a destructive force in my life that's going to destroy everything around me. Oh, you know she wanted to. The writing and the acting so good, it conveys that. But she doesn't do it. Because she's realizing the cost of it. Giving into it will unleash a destructive force in our lives, in our life that it will destroy everything. That's what James is talking about. If you're giving in to these temptations, it's, going, it's unleashing destructive power of death in your life. That's going to poison your inner person. That's going to poison your relationship. And if you keep on doing it, hell is going to wait for you, eternal death. The question you and I have to ask ourselves, are we letting sin mature in us? Are you aware of the constant dangling of over-desire in your life? Are you constantly giving in to it? If you're constantly giving in to it, I'm constantly giving in to it. That is evidence of where we're going. You're thinking, oh, Pastor Jay, but I accepted Jesus when I was in, in, in Bible camp. It's all fine and good. But the true evidence of whether you accepted Jesus in Bible camp is this. Is sin maturing in you? Verse 16, James says, Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brother. Why is he saying do not be deceived? Because he's saying one of the powerful forces of sin and temptation in our lives are lies. Sin, the devil, our flesh, the world, lies to us about, about, about evil. The, way, the reason why we give in to temptation is because the lies in our head that says, you know what, come on, it's not that bad, right? Come on, it's not that bad. You're not hurting anyone. It's just an image on a phone, on your computer screen. Who are you really hurting, man? Oh, yeah, that's true. Come on, you're a man. You have a testosterone. You need to do this. Oh, yeah, that's true. Come on, that person deserves it. That person deserves the condemnation that you're going to put forth for. That person's a jerk. Oh, yeah, that's true. It lies to us about the damage it can do and the consequences. Oh, don't pray. You accepted Jesus in Bible camp. You don't have to pray. He loves you anyway, man. Okay. He's always going to be there for you. You don't have to drink from him, right? Sin lies about the consequences of sin. Sin lies 
about the potential damage that sin does, sin lies to us. James says, be careful. Do not be deceived. There's a force in you and me that comes every day that lies to us. Be aware of the lies. And the question is, how do you get over it? It's true. Temptation is real. It's true. It's going to call you. Maybe it's calling you now to not pay attention. Oh, I got you. Maybe it's going to call you after service. Maybe it's going to call you tomorrow morning. How are you going to fight it? Discipline. Discipline is needed. Good old-fashioned discipline. Can't do it. Don't do it. Sounds very moralistic. Pastor Virginia looks perturbed. PJ just say, what? You have the power within you? Maybe. Don't do it. Stop doing it. Be aware of the damages it's going to cause and not do it. Look. Jordan Peterson, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson, a public intellectual. I'm a really big fan. Jordan Peterson, he's a public intellectual. Jordan Peterson only eats meat. He eats nothing else but meat. What does he eat for breakfast? He buys fat and he fries it up and eats it. You know, you know the portion of the steak that you, your mom told you to not eat? My mom told me not to eat the fat, Right? But Jordan Peterson eats the portion my mom tells me not to eat. He fries it up. Not only is it fat, but it's fried fat. He eats fried fat. Why? Because he likes fat? No. He says if he eats anything else, it's going to cause him great physical and psychological pain. He drank apple juice once, and that put him out of commission for a month, he said. Apple juice. He loves bread, like all Western people do. He loves bread. Bread pudding. I have no idea what bread pudding is, but that guy loves bread pudding. John Stark has to tell me what bread pudding is. But he doesn't eat it because he knows what it will do. Bread is calling him, but he doesn't give in. Discipline. Stop. It's killing you and me. It maybe it takes discipline for you to stop listening to the voice of temptation. But I think the greater discipline that is needed is you and I, in order to effectively fight temptation, must be disciplined enough for us to look at the Lord regularly to see how good he is. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. How is this first related to temptation? I think this verse related to temptation is if you know that God is generous, if you are personally aware of the generosity of God, it's going to cure a lot of the tempting voices in your life. I think that's true. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Look, the other day on Friday, it was, Friday was a whirlwind of the day. Oh, my gosh, I had calls, I had things to do, stressed out of my mind. And one of my brothers texted and says, DJ, something great happened to me. I can't tell what it is because I, put, I promised that guy I'm not going to disclose what that is. 
what happened to that guy is nothing short of a miracle. Right, that guy? Right, that guy? That guy knows what happened to him is nothing short of a miracle. I've never seen anything happen to anyone like that. And that guy texted me in the middle of my whirlwind stress. I felt so joy. And I feel the stress leaving. In the middle of the stress, when I only see as pressures, oh, I go crazy. When I'm reminded of the goodness of the Lord, the stressful voices are not so strong anymore. You must be disciplined enough to look up and realize the generosity of the Lord. Me and my wife, on Friday night, after, after a small chat, right, I chatted with that guy. We we're, were talking about how blessed we are. I really like my kids. Did you know that? I think I like my kids. Oh, who would have thought? We are talking about how blessed we were about having our kids. I also told her how blessed I think I was because I get to live my life just expending my energy for other people. I think that's a blessing. I don't always feel that way, but in that particular moment, I felt I was blessed because I had the opportunity to expend my energy, to use my life, not in a frivolous way, but use it just like, 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 you know, like spam, right? right? Every part of the pig is used in spam. My life is spam. Every part of my life is used, and I'm so blessed that I get to live that way. I'm spam. Every good gift that I have comes from the Lord. When you realize the reality of his generosity, for some reason, that luring voice, those over-desiring things, it finds their proper place. But if you're not aware of the generosity of the Lord, all you are left is over-desire. What is the most generous thing that the Lord has done for me and for us? Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The word brought us forth means gave birth to us. The most generous thing that the Lord has done is to make us born again, to make us his. To make a person like me belong to him. How did he do it? Through the word of truth. Someone preached to me, and through the sermon, I get to understand who Jesus is. And from that moment on, he started to work in me. He gave birth to me. That's his generosity. When I, you know, you know that song, When I Think About the Lord, How He Raised Me. Forget the lyrics of the song. But I think that's what that song means. When I think about the Lord, he makes me want to shout hallelujah. To be disciplined enough to think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he gave you the Holy Ghost, how he saved you to the uttermost. Chris Tomlin will be proud of me. How do you fight temptation? Think about the Lord. How he saved me. How he healed me. 
He makes me want to shout hallelujah. That shouting hallelujah is the cure, the over-desires of our lives. That's true. You need to be disciplined enough. I need to be disciplined enough. Think about the Lord. It's generosity. Will you do it? Will you be disciplined enough to be connected to the source of life? Will you be disciplined enough to think about him and wage war against the tempting voices of your life? Or are you and I are going or, or are you going to let sin take its maturity in you? When you hear the voice of the Lord, do not deny it. Listen to it. Go to him so that he will free you from temptation. Let us pray for these things.